was Devin Smith, Devin Smith and Alex Breeze, if you didn't know that. Okay, so I made a mistake this week. I didn't update a document, and that meant that all of your bulletins got mislabeled. Uh, so this is my mistake, not Donna's or anyone else's. Uh, the message today is not salvation of the new age. That's next week's message. I told you we had a two-part series last week, and so this is part two of that. And the title of this message is The Spirit of Prophecy, which soon you probably will see up there. The Spirit of Prophecy, part two. And we are still in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. So you might as well open up your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. Or turn on your devices, whatever it might be. So there's, as you know, years of locust swarms, years of droughts, and the people of Judah, they finally come back to God in humility and in repentance. They turn to him, and our God, who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, in him they find forgiveness and they find salvation And God promises very great things to the people of Judah. He promises to restore all that the years of disaster had taken away from them, to restore the land and to heal the people. And then he goes even further. Thanks, Josiah. He goes even further, and he promises more than a land restored, more than Eden restored. He promises another day of the Lord, a day of the Lord that would come upon Judah at some point in the future, but not a day of destruction like they had just been living through, a day of salvation, at least the part that we're looking at today. A day where God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And when this happens, when his spirit gets poured out upon all flesh, then his people will become prophets. And so that's what we looked at last week, and today what I want to do with part two of this series is give you a few categories so you can better understand prophets, or what it means to be a prophet, and what it means to prophesy, things like this. And then I want, you, I want to encourage you to prophesy, or at least to desire to prophesy. I want to encourage you to desire to prophesy. So these are some maybe controversial things, maybe some uncomfortable things, but we find them right here in the Word. Uh, And so, as we go to the Word, as we think about what it's telling us, what God is telling us, we need to ask Him by the Spirit to speak. So let's do that in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that it isn't comfortable all the time, but it challenges us. We thank You that You have made Yourself so available to us, so much more so than we imagine, so much more so than we live in on a day-to-day basis. That seems for sure. And so, Lord, as as we receive Your Word this morning, I pray that it would grow us deeper in our relationship with You, that we would walk more freely by Your Spirit, more powerfully in Your Spirit. And I pray that these labels of prophets and prophesying would become to us precious truths rather than scary, challenging things that might even be despised by some. Lord, we commit this time to you and ask you to speak, not just my words, but let them be yours, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joel chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 28 to 32, so hopefully you're already there and you may follow along. And it shall come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Powerful, powerful words. As I said last week, Joel was prophesying about this prophethood of all believers. We've talked about a priesthood of all believers in the past, relatively recently, but now we're talking about a prophethood of all believers. God gives Joel this prophetic vision or prophetic word where Joel looks into the future and he sees God's Spirit being poured out upon all flesh, a future where God is establishing a new covenant with His people, where every person, every one of God's people will be like a prophet of old, because now they have a direct connection with God. For God, the Spirit, resides within their hearts, within their souls. Or as it says in verse 28 that we just read, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, all flesh here does not mean every person on earth, every person on the planet. It is, a, it is all of God's covenant people, every one, of his God's co- every one of God's covenant people. So, as we saw in the Old Testament, God's Spirit was, was given to, for, for a time, a few individuals. And those individuals were greatly empowered by God. A select few like Moses or Samuel or Isaiah or Ezekiel or name the prophet. But now God is going to give that same spirit to every single one who follows Christ. So he's talk, God is talking about a whole new way of relating to his people. No longer by law, but by spirit. No longer a spirit of law where you're bound to it legally, but by a, by a covenant of freedom where you are free to walk and live in the Holy Spirit. It talks about, Paul talks about God's Spirit and our spirit becoming one so that as we live in the freedom of this new covenant, we who have received the Spirit, what we do is what God wants more and more as we're conformed to that image. It's an incredible, incredible covenant that God is promising and that Joel is foretelling right here. We, the people of the new covenant, We know this reality. We live this reality because we have found the way into this covenant because we have found the way, the truth, and the life into the covenant who is Jesus Christ. All who receive and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus Christ, who love the gospel, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings you in, initiates you into the prophethood of all believers, like we saw in Revelation 19, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19. What a powerful verse that is. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So Joel's words 
in, in chapter 2, they look forward to this day when that would happen, where God's Spirit poured out, not on a reserved few, not on a select few, but freely given to all followers of Jesus. And so, if you are a student of the Bible, perhaps you've been waiting, maybe for now a second week, to go into the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we, we see these words in Joel 2 that we just read, we see them find their direct fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. At one point, Jesus had crowds of people following him around, so much so, so much so that they couldn't even rest and eat. There were so many people. But after the cross, there's 120 left, fearfully, huddled together, praying in this upper room. And as they're praying, a miracle. Acts 2, verses 2 through 4. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. If this happened in the Old Testament, it would have been called prophecy. And then they left that house, they left that upper room, they began walking around the streets of Jerusalem, speaking these things in strange languages. And as you can imagine, with such a spectacle, crowds begin forming. Everybody wants to come out and see perhaps what these drunk people are doing early in the morning on the day of Pentecost. And they are, they're calling them drunk. Well, Peter, apparently not letting that go, decides to stand up and tell them what is happening. Listen to these words and think about Joel. This is verses 17 and 18 of Acts 2. This is what was uttered by the prophet Joel, Peter says. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my male servants and female servants in those days shall I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter does keep quoting from Joel 2 right there, but I'm going to stop. He's saying that what we read in Joel 2 was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Those words find their fulfillment when the spirit is poured out upon these 120 individuals. There was a big change from what Peter said and what we read in Joel 2. Did you catch it? It's how he began. Joel starts out in verse 28. He says, And it shall come to pass afterwards. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter says, In the last days it shall be. Well, that's interesting. Peter is saying that the day of Pentecost, he's calling that, those, or those, the last days. Because the old covenant was being swallowed up by the new. It was the end of an age. It was the end of the age of law. And the age of spirit had begun. The law swallowed by the spirit. And it came with powerful prophetic signs. These average everyday fishermen, tax collectors, pedestrians, who knows who these 120 people were? They turn into prophets of God. Speaking different languages. 
As Acts 2.11 says, they're declaring the mighty works of God. So what are they saying? It tells us. They're talking about the mighty works of God in all kinds of different languages. Regular people from different classes, young and old, male and female, prophets of God. The prophethood of all believers was initiated through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Last week, I also briefly addressed an apparent contradiction. I'm saying now that every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ is a prophet of God. But Paul said that we are not all prophets. And we read that last week in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 29 through 30. He writes, are all, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And of course, all of those get a resounding no. I have not worked a miracle. I have not healed somebody. So we are not all these things. We are not all prophets, according to Paul. And right here, we need to have some categories. There's, a, there's some nuance here in the New Testament that we need to understand. We can't just blanket things and think that we've got it covered. We need some categories through which we can understand prophets, prophethood, and prophecy. And I have three categories for you. I'm going to move quickly for the, through the first two and spend the majority of my time on the third category. But first, one thing that's true of all prophets in all categories, all prophets receive revelation from God. And as I said earlier, for all Christians, if you hold fast to the testimony of Jesus Christ, you have received the spirit of prophecy Believing and loving Jesus is a revelation from God. Okay, the first category of prophets. The authoritative prophet. These are the prophets of old. These spoke authoritatively for God. Their words were like God's words. If you disobeyed them, you were going to be called into judgment. If they wrote those words down, it became scripture like it did for Joel. And then this prophetic office, which we find in the Old Testament, like Elijah, like Moses, like Jeremiah, this prophetic office was then transferred to the 12 apostles and just the 12 apostles in the New Testament. And then after the 12 apostles, that authoritative prophetic office ended which is why we are not continually adding to the Bible. If that office continued, this Bible would be ongoing, right? We'd be continually adding things to it, but we are not. It is a closed book. It is complete because that office is over. The purity and the authority of that office, this authoritative prophet, it was so, um, so valued and so protected that any false prophet in the Old Covenant, if they, if they spoke falsely, they were killed. They were stoned to death. That's not what we do with false prophets today. But in the Old Testament, with this authoritative prophetic office, that's what happened. They were killed. Additionally, these authoritative prophets, they often acted with many supernatural 
abilities, you could say. They healed, they performed miracles, they raised the dead, they had secret knowledge, they foretold the future, many demonstrations of the power of the the Spirit. Or maybe through our New Testament lens, we would say they, each one of these prophets, or most of them, had many spiritual gifts, right? So that's the authoritative prophet, category one. Category two, I didn't know what else to title this. I just said Mind of Christ Prophets. Mind of Christ Prophets. And this is the prophethood of all believers. This would include every Christian in this room, every true follower of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we have this direct connection with God. Like the prophets of old. But more so because here God lives, right here. Prophets of old never had that. We're given the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. We read these verses last week from 1 Corinthians 2. We have received the Spirit who is from God. That, listen to how prophetic this sounds. That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but, by taught, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We have the mind of Christ. You would only say those things of a prophet in the Old Testament. And now we can say those things of all who have come to faith in Jesus. Additionally, these prophets, these mind of Christ prophets, also receive spiritual gifts. But instead of one authoritative prophet possessing all of the gifts, now all of us have some of the gifts, at least one gift. Famously, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Not for your good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to to distinguish spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So there you see all of these miraculous gifts given to the prophethood of all believers. Now that list, as you're probably aware, is not an exhaustive list. There are many more spiritual gifts that continue beyond that, such things like teaching and mercy and service and more. But make no mistake, each one a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, exceeding human ability in such a way that Christ is glorified and the church is built. But I'm starting to get ahead of myself. All given to mind of Christ prophets who have the Spirit dwelling within them. Okay, so that's category two. So we have authoritative prophets. We have mind of Christ prophets. Now let's get to this other category that we need to understand. Category three, the fallible prophets. Fallible meaning prone to error, not perfect, makes mistakes. 
So in that list that we just read from 1 Corinthians 12, we saw that prophesying is one of the gifts. In Paul's questions, we saw him say that not all are prophets. So there's this other category then of prophets, of prophesying. And these would be New Testament prophets who prophesy. How about that for profound? So among the prophethood of all believers, not all of those prophets will prophesy, but some of them will. Those are the ones that we're talking about, the fallible prophets. And to understand this category, we need to understand what prophesying means in the New Testament. What is prophesying? No longer is it speaking for God and then I must obey it. It is not that. Reading through the New Testament, we see these things applied to prophesying. We see visions. We, we see dreams. We see foretelling the future. The revealing of secret sins. Preaching. This. And then we see these very specific, piercing personal messages given to specific people for specific times. All of these things are prophetic. And sometimes these prophetic gifts, they come upon a person for a very brief moment and they're gone. And they might never prophesy again in their whole life. And then there are others like Agabus in the New Testament who are prophets and they prophesy with some regularity, somehow. So there are prophets, and there are those who prophesy, and a lot of gray in between. And now I want to lay out some distinctions for us that will help us to understand, hopefully, the difference between some of these categories. So hopefully you already see. You've got the prophethood of all believers, but not all believers will prophesy. So in one sense, in category two, all believers are prophets. In category three, they are not all prophets because they're not all prophesying in these prophetic ways that I have just mentioned. Not every Christian will prophesy. But the Christians who prophesy are the fallible prophets. Okay, so the Old Testament prophet, like I said, they spoke with that authority, these authoritative prophets, where, you, where they said it, you did it. If you didn't do it, Condemnation was coming or judgment was coming or something was going, going to go bad. We don't have that authority in the New Testament. The apostles possessed that authority. We do not possess that authority. When we prophesy, when, when these fallible prophets prophesy, they are subject to error and their message must be sifted. It must be weighed. And this is totally different from the authoritative prophets of old. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10 says, As for prophecies, they will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So these New Testament prophets who prophesy, these, these fallible prof prophets, they prophesy in part. That means that their message is imperfect. It isn't complete. It isn't full. It must be weighed and examined and evaluated and sifted, whatever these prophetic messages are. Like 1 Corinthians 14.29 says, Let 
two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So the prophet is speaking in whatever context, and everybody else is weighing it. Is this good? Is this right? Or is this not right? Is this crazy? There's a lot of crazy prophetic messages out there, and they all need to be weighed, the good and the bad. And, and they can go wrong. They can go desperately, terribly wrong. And 1 John 4 tells us so. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, that spirit of prophecy, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. John, very likely, is talking about false prophets who were in the church and who went out into the world. Maybe they were respectable at one time. But now they're false prophets. And there are a lot of people who were believing those messages in the early church. A lot of people who believe these false messages in our church globally today. But Jude writes about these people and where those messages come from. And when he's writing this, he's talking about prophetic dreams. So just insert prophecy to what he says. Jude 1.8 says, These people, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Somebody calls themselves a prophet, that means nothing until their message can be weighed. Because there are many who are defiling their flesh, who are blaspheming the glory one, glorious ones, and who are rejecting authority. Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Todd White, Bill Johnson, Joel Osteen, I could keep going, false prophets and false teachers. Why? Because they have rejected the authority of Scripture. Even if it's just a sliver of Scripture, they've rejected it. And that immediately plunges them into false prophet, false teacher. Or if they take their words and they elevate it to the same level as Scripture. False prophet. Paul clearly tells us that new covenant prophets must submit to the authority of Scripture. Their prophecies must come under the authority of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.37 If anyone thinks that he is a prophet, I wish they would listen to these words. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Boom! You get two categories of prophet right there. Paul, the authoritative prophet, speaking the words of God. And then these other prophets, these fallible prophets, who need to submit to Paul's authoritative words. The new covenant prophet who prophesies does not carry the same authority. 
And they are therefore subject to sifting. And they must submit themselves to the infallible word of God. With so much abuse of prophecy in our world, and I am subject, I am so prone to this, what I'm about to say, with so much abuse of prophecy in our world, it is very easy to despise prophecy, to get fed up with it, to get sick of it. You say you're a prophet, so do all these other people. And I'm immediately skeptical. It's very easy for me to write off prophets or prophecies. I've had somebody prophesy over me because my name's Fletcher. And so they went to Proverbs, what is it? Something about a lot of, fer- a lot of feathers in a quiver. Something about loving kids. Hey, I do. I've got four kids that I love. But somebody looking in a glass ball could say the same words. So I'm just so prone to think like that. But I'm disobedient when I do that. First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. You see a way that we quench the Holy Spirit is by despising prophecies? That's pretty serious. And convicting. But we test the prophecies. And we hold fast to the ones that are good. And the way we test it is by putting it next to the word. Here's your prophetic message, and here's the word. Are they in accordance? Is your prophetic message submitting to the word of God? And if those things are true, then we... Try to receive them in the Spirit as things that are good, and we hold fast to those things. And all the bad we throw away. Although we're fallible, because sin so permeates us, these prophecies are gifts of God, and they must be treasured. And that's hard to do sometimes. There's one more distinction I want to give to you about this third category of prophets, the fallible prophets. The Old Testament, there are, there are very few, relatively speaking, there are very few prophets. And they waited hundreds of years sometimes for a prophet to arise, for a message of God to come to them through the voice of a prophet. But now, this, within this prophethood of all believers... This third category of of fallible prophet, this is available to every single one of us. Do you know that? This is available to every single one of us. Every Christian here could become this third category of prophet. They could prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Everybody here is to desire this, which means it's available to everybody here. That's a massive difference between covenants. A massive difference between covenants. 
No longer a revelation given to a specific individual to speak to all of the people, but now all of the people receiving revelation from God. Whether that be revelation of the beauty of the testimony of Jesus Christ or a revelation of some secret sin in your brother or sister or about the future or whatever it might be. Regardless, though, it's still fallible. It still needs to be sifted and we still need to test it. And I think that that's one reason it seems that the Holy Spirit gives this gift so sparingly. And we're not seeing everybody prophesying. Why should we desire this? Why should we desire this to, to prophesy when it is such a contentious, confusing, weird thing? Because of what prophecy accomplishes, which we see in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 through 4. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. That is a powerful gift from the Holy Spirit. Through prophecy, the church is built up. So if you see a prophet being built up, you know that'd be, a, that'd be a marker of a false prophet immediately. But if a church is being built up, then indeed we have a Holy Spirit-filled prophetic message or prophet. Jesus is glorified, then the prophecy is from God. The church is built up, then the prophecy is from God. So again, through the New Testament... We see people's, through prophecy, we see people's sins being called out and exposed, which drives them into repentance and holiness. We see the fear of God coming upon many. We see people being called into powerful, earth-changing ministries. We see people ready to suffer for the sake of Christ. All of these, a direct result of the gift of prophecy, and then On the day of Pentecost, we see thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of the gift of prophecy. And it wasn't just the apostles. There was 120 people that day. All of these, the result of prophecies, all of these building up the church, exalting Jesus Christ. Imagine if that happened in our valley, in this church. Imagine it. We couldn't social distance. How can we not desire such things? There's so much to say about prophecy, and it's really hard for me to stop. And it's really hard for me just to keep this into two parts. But I think that it's important to say if we do desire to prophesy, to enter into this third category of church-building Christ, exalting, fallible prophet, then the best way that we can do that is to put ourselves, our lives, our minds under the authority of Scripture. Right? If that's what prophesies, if that's where it's supposed to be located under Scripture, should we not also locate ourselves there? Submitted to Scripture, loving Scripture, knowing Scripture, knowing that when we hear a word, We know that it comes from Scripture because we're in Scripture or that it accords with Scripture because we're in Scripture. So one of the best ways 
to position yourself to receive this gift is to be in Scripture. And then I think we need to pray. Paul tells us to desire this. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to give it to us and to give it to the people in our midst here at Emmanuel. Let's ask God to give us the gift of prophecy. He gives really good gifts. Why would he not? Imagine what that would look like. We're in this new covenant. We're in this covenant of spirit. We are among the prophethood of all believers. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all of us. And we have each received spiritual gifts. And prophecy is available to every single person here. The words of Joel are fulfilled. And we live in them. Let us, earnestly to let us earnestly desire to live within these gifts and to prophesy. And let us see this Holy Spirit poured out upon many, many more souls because of what God is doing in our lives and in our church. Would you pray with me? Thank you for this gift, Father. Unimaginable as it is, you have given us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, to you, I pray right now, I ask you would come in a greater measure of power and that true church-building, Christ-exalting, prophetic messages would enter this church and flow out of it. Not for any one of our glory, but for yours. Help us, Father, not to despise these things, but to earnestly desire them. Help us, Father, to have our lives so conformed to Scripture that when we speak, whether by our own tongue or by the utterances of the Holy Spirit, Scripture would come out of our mouths, not authoritatively, but, in tr but implicitly, flooded with Scripture, loving Scripture, turning people to you, Thank you, God, for these words and for challenges and for gifts. We praise you for them all. We praise you for your Son, the door into all of these things. And it's in his name that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.